0: And again, keep in mind that as we wrap up our service this morning, we want to encourage you to just head straight through the middle of the breezeway and then take a left toward the playground, and we'll be gathering there pretty quickly and celebrating together for a few minutes what God's getting ready to do. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been asking many of you, as we've been in this series called Lost, maybe some of your stories of how you've been lost, whether it's been as an adult or as a kid. I heard one story in particular that was pretty interesting about uh, when you were, uh, one person here at Grace was a boy of nine years old and was out camping, and right in the middle of the night, I think he went, went out to go potty, he couldn't find his way back from potty and was lost in the woods for quite some time before he found his way back. One of the stories that also I heard, which was pretty interesting, is from a guy that's not actually attending our church but who lives here in town, is a guy named Cody. Cody has this incredible story about when he was lost For 18 hours as a six year old kid in the mountains of northeastern Oregon. He was with his family on a picnic during the day. He was off playing and exploring with his sister and he got turned around and couldn't find his way back. All he had on him that day was what he was wearing a pair of sweatpants, a cheap pair of sneakers, a pair of gloves, and an overcoat. At 2.30 in the afternoon, this six-year-old boy started walking, trying to figure out how to get back to his family. Eventually, he cleared a meadow and he found a dirt road. And today he laughs and he says, yeah, I should have just sat down. But he didn't. And whereas most kids would cry and just kind of walk around in circles, Cody took off like a shot. He found this dirt road. He didn't know if this road was going to lead him further into the wilderness or if it was going to lead him to civilization. He didn't even understand the concept. He just started walking. And then he started running down this road. And then he'd get tired and walk a little bit more, and then he would run a little bit more. Dozens of people started frantically searching for little Cody. They underestimated how far this little 42-inch tall kindergartner could cover how much ground that he could cover in such a short amount of time. And they kept working out of a circle that was far too small. His story is a fascinating story. In fact, it was actually just published a few days ago in Outside Magazine. And I put a link in your online sermon notes if you want to read this whole story. But it's a fascinating story of what happened to him. There's also an audio interview there where you can kind of hear him tell what happened to him as a six-year-old kid. But he hiked for 15 miles that afternoon by nightfall by himself. When a couple of coyotes started following him, he got scared, he climbed up in a tree, and he fell asleep there for a few hours. Then he woke up, he started walking again, and he, walked, he covered close to 20 miles by the next morning as the sun rose, and he found his way into a little town, and rain was falling and the temperatures were starting to drop. He gets into this town, and he's determined by this point, okay, I'm never going to find my mom and dad out in the woods, so I'm going to try to slip myself into my bed so when they come home, they'll think, oh, did we just leave him here? And so he decides, I'm just going to find my house. And so he's walking all through town. This one girl who's waiting for her bus stop sees him, convinces him with some cookies to stay still long enough for someone to call the local sheriff and to make sure he's taken care of. Today... Cody works as a producer for the University of Arizona, and he runs two companies here in town doing some great documentary work. But Cody believes that his life was changed by getting lost. And he says it was one of the greatest life lessons he had ever learned. He said, over the course course of your life, you push through a lot of physical barriers. As you grow older... Your first coach helps you to break through barriers. And maybe in the military you learn to push through barriers. Or maybe in your first hard job. As a little kid, he said, I had this opportunity to be tested and to learn that there really aren't any barriers. I think a lot of people have to figure that out, he says. They just might not figure it out as early as age six. This month, we've been in this teaching series called "Lost," where we've been talking about these ways we tend to get a little bit lost in life at times, whether it's out on a trail or it's just in life in general, times when we're maybe struggling with an important decision or when unexpected challenges leave us confused and not knowing which way to turn. We learn through this series about the importance of stopping and resting when we're feeling a little bit lost so that we can think clearly. And today what we're going to see is the importance of observing what is around us, our situation in life, before taking steps to move forward. In those moments, we have to remember that we're never truly alone, that God is always there. When we're lost in the wilderness, we can look for signs or landmarks or maybe get up to a vantage point to kind of see our way around and get our bearings. And in life, we also need to look for signs. Or, what I tend to call, if you've been around here a while, the fingerprints of God. These little clues that we see in our lives, if we're paying attention, how God is actually working in and around us to help us stay on the path that God wants for us. Now, if I'm not paying attention, if in those moments I'm feeling lost, I just panic and I don't think clearly. I can make bad decisions, whether on the trail. Or just in life in general. But if I'm observing, if I'm seeing, if I'm recognizing how God is at work, hope builds in my life. And I am determined to live the way that God wants me to live. And I think that's true of your life as well. If we're observing, if we're noticing, if we're, if we're seeing how God is at work in our lives, hope can build. And we're more determined to live out the life... God's called us to live. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 4. I want to spend a little bit of time looking at a passage there this morning. And again, you can go to mygrace.church, click on the sermon notes tab if you want to follow the scriptures there. But I encourage you to, to look at them on, uh, with me this morning. In this story today, we're going to learn about a true wilderness experience that Jesus had right after he was baptized. Before he went from an ordinary woodworker... At the age of 29 or 30, to to someone who was radically used by God to turn the world upside down. In that time in the wilderness, Satan tried all kinds of things to break Jesus. But Jesus was determined to live the way that God wanted him to live. So let's look at Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. God, I pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. It says then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit to the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and he became very hungry. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment to point out a couple things. Notice in the very beginning there it says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. When he was baptized and he went off into the wilderness, he wasn't struggling with sin in his life at some point. God wasn't needing to teach him a lesson. He wasn't needing to grow. He wasn't needing to try to break something in his life. It actually says here that the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Did you notice that? This was something that God was doing in him. Even though we might look at it on the surface and think, boy, this was a horrible experience to be wandering around in the desert for 40 days with not even anything to eat to the point that I'm sure Jesus was struggling to the point of starving. Jesus hadn't done anything wrong, but God wanted to prepare him. And in this vulnerable position, Jesus is hit with some really hard temptations. And I say that to say this. Many of us will face times of testing, times of trial, times of confusion in this life. And in those times, we really need to pay attention to the subtle working of God, to the the direction that God is trying to lead us in life so that we won't get off track in our frustration and in our confusion. So when this testing comes, we're not tempted to take a shortcut or to take an easier way, but to follow God's way. Now, in this passage we're going to look at here this morning we're actually going to see three times that Jesus is tempted, right? Let's look at those real quickly here this morning. The first one is this temptation that Jesus faces to avoid suffering. Let's look back at verse 1 again. It says, "Um, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and he became very hungry. And then notice it says in verse 3, Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. It's an interesting response, right, to a temptation. Now, this, is, this has got to be the most obvious temptation that would be thrown at Jesus at this point, right? I mean, if I'd been walking around the desert for 40 days, I would think that probably the stones on the ground would look like loaves of bread, right? Right? So it doesn't surprise us that he's being tempted in this way. But in times of suffering, I think it's easy for us many times to look for a shortcut, isn't it? It's easy for us to look for an easier way out of our suffering rather than staying in that place of suffering. But God doesn't always want for us what's easiest, He wants what is best. And sometimes the best way isn't always the easy way, right? Some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there. Sometimes the path God has us on gets difficult. It gets confusing. And God wants us to be stable, to trust, to have hope that these seasons of our lives will strengthen us and mature us. And they will if we let them, if we don't shortcut the process to try to get out of the suffering. Have you ever heard of a Christian ever taking a vow of stability to God? Does that sound like a foreign concept to you? I had never even heard of this until just a few months ago. But apparently for centuries there have been Christians who have lived all over the world at times and they have felt the call to take a vow of stability in different aspects of their lives. I've even heard here in the last few weeks about a a group of churches in Texas, this uh, series of churches, um, that when someone wants to join the church or to become a member of their church, they actually call for them to take a vow of stability in their church, which basically is their way of saying if, if and when you face trials, if and when you don't like the way things are getting run at the church, if and when you get upset with someone, you can't run. You can't just get upset and leave. You need to try to work through it first. It's a way of them saying, stay stable where God has planted you and don't let suffering snatch you away. I've consulted a couple people here in the last couple of months who have been struggling with just wanting to run away from some of the problems they've had. And I've encouraged them to, just between them and God, to take a vow of stability. To say that, I'm, I'm not, God, I'm not going to leave Tucson or I'm not going to leave my marriage because that feels like the easiest path right now. I want your best for me, and if I need to stay in that place a little longer, I'm going to stay there. Let me ask you this morning when you face trials in your life, do you tend to want to escape them or do you ask God to help you grow through them? Sometimes we're facing difficult times in life, and we don't need to stay there. We just need to get out. But sometimes what we find is that just like God led Jesus into the wilderness, God will lead us into wilderness moments in our lives, and he's willing to grow us through that if we will allow him to do so. So that the first temptation Jesus faces is this temptation to avoid suffering. But the second one that I want to show you is this, and it's in verse 5. It's the temptation to put something else above God. Look at verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give and to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say, You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Now, this is another way that the enemy is trying to shortcut God's plans in Jesus' life, right? The devil is claiming here to Jesus that this whole world is his. And you know what? He's right. It is his for now. Ultimately, God's going to reclaim it. But this is an offer that Satan made to tempt Jesus to think of himself first in that moment to put something else over God and to mess up the real plans that God had for his life I say that because when each of us are at a crossroads in our lives and a meaningful decision needs to be made there will always be another route to shortcut God's best there will always be a path that looks a little bit easier that we will be tempted to take a path to put something above God, a path that is more appealing than the one we're on. Whether it's, our, uh, you know, our centered around our careers or our possessions or our status, or even our family. One of, some of those situations, oftentimes, where, our, where it, we're tempted to do something that compromises our integrity, right? That opportunity that looks so good, and we're just convinced, well, surely God's in this, and our. And our heart's were thinking, yeah, but God wouldn't cause me to, be, to make a decision that's against His will, against Scripture, right? But, but this opportunity looks so good, and it will get me out of this mess I'm in. Surely God wants this for me. Right? We all will face temptations in times of trial to shortcut, to find an easier way out, and maybe perhaps even compromise our integrity. Jesus, in that moment, refuses to do so. And even in a moment of weakness, he uses Scripture as his defense because he's probably weak and tired on his own. He uses Scripture to remind Satan of what God truly says. Let me give you one more temptation that Jesus faces here. And it's in verse 9. And this is the one that took me a little bit of time to figure out. It's this temptation I would call to make sure that we are understood or respected. Look at verse 9. It says, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. And then it says, Then Jesus re- returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, and reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. Now, when I read this third temptation, I'll be honest with you, I, I struggled trying to figure this one out a bit. In fact, I kept my wife up in bed for a little while just trying to figure out what the heck was happening here. I was saying, I, I don't see how this was a temptation of Jesus. You know, I've been tempted in a lot of ways in my life. But I one I one thing I've never been tempted on is to be hiking up in the mountains and just been tempted to just jump off the side of the mountain and hope that God catches me. Never never happened. Never been one of those things I've kind of struggled with in my life to try to keep myself from doing never come up. And so I'm thinking, why in the world was this even a temptation? Why was he, Satan even offering this to Jesus? Yeah, go ahead, jump off, see what God does. Really? And then I noticed verse 9, where Satan says, If you are the Son of God. See, these are words that Satan actually used also in verse 3, the first time he tempted Jesus. If you are the Son of God. You see what's happening here? In a moment of weakness, he's challenging Jesus' position as divine. He's challenging Jesus' position as God. Satan knew who Jesus was. He wasn't confused. He didn't need clarification from Jesus in this moment. And through that, as I was thinking through this, I realized there's a need that we all feel at times in life to be understood, to be respected. And it can be one that we push too hard for sometimes in life. It says in verse 13 that after this, Satan went away for a more opportune time. And would you know, Jesus actually is tempted by Satan again in this exact same way on the cross. I hadn't realized this until I was studying this passage a couple of weeks ago. If you think back on the story when Jesus was crucified, what you see in the gospel accounts are there are soldiers around mocking Jesus. And there's even a man dying on the cross next to Jesus. And you remember what they say? If you're really the son of God, why don't you take yourself off this cross? Right? The exact same temptation. To prove to himself, to prove to everyone around who he really was. And in essence, to shortcut God's ultimate plan for his life. God's ultimate plan for Christ's life was the cross. As crazy as that sounds for us. But it was. And these temptations were an attempt to shortcut that. We all want to be understood. We want to be respected. That's not a bad thing. But sometimes it can reveal pride in our hearts. And sometimes I find it can show a lack of faith and a lack of trust that God is really in control of our lives. I've been pushed at times in this way in my own life. Have you? There have been times when I've been questioned or a decision that I've made has been questioned and pride can rise up. And I just want to prove to everyone that I'm right. Right? Last week we saw this this in the Job story. Life got really hard for Job and everyone around Job said, what did you do? Right? You must have done something really bad. You must be living a a double life. And everything in Job wanted to kind of prove to everyone around him that he hadn't done anything wrong. Right? Right? He gets angry with his friends. He even gets angry at God. It's like, show them that I haven't done anything wrong. And God has to humble him in that moment. Guys, sometimes the path we're on, we have this need to prove ourselves. To show everybody that we're right. To show everybody that God's working in our lives even. Sometimes I find in humility, we just have to back up and allow God to work. And God God will speak to our hearts in those moments. Sometimes we need to defend. We need to defend what's right. Sometimes God just shows us there's pride, there's a lack of faith, a lack of trust, a need to control. And we just need to learn to let go. So... As you look at each of these three temptations, let me ask you, which of these three tends to trip you up the easiest? Wh- which one would get you off track the quickest when you're being tested? Do you, need to, do you tend to need to make things easier in life, or to make things less painful when challenges come your way as quick as you can? Do you tend to put things above God very easily? When, when those things get dangled in front of you? Or do you tend to cast aside love and humility for pride at times or to, to demand your own way? The enemy of our souls still seeks to do the exact same thing that he was trying to do with Jesus and every other person who has ever been created on the face of this earth. To find moments in life when we're confused, when we're lost, when we're worn down, And to get us to question God. And to question God's plans for our lives. To shortcut them and to miss out on God's best. When sometimes God's path is found in the difficult. The challenging. The unresolved in the moment. In those moments of confusion. In those moments of feeling lost. Here's what I hope for you. That you will see the fingerprints of God around you. That in those moments of stress and confusion and panic and thinking, God, are you even there? That you will stop and notice. God hasn't stopped working, never once. God, and if we pay the attention, if we observe what God is doing around us, our hope starts to build again in who God is and how powerful he is in our lives. And we can be determined in those moments when temptations come to not budge. To not back down. Because we know God is at work. God, I think that's true for us as a church here at Grace. I have no doubt in my mind in the years that I have served here. That God has Grace Community Church on a different path than he has most other churches on. In fact, a different path than most other churches right around us here in this community. One of those ways that I feel like God has called us to be a little different. Is the ways that we choose to invest more and more into our community. Loving people and meeting them exactly where they are. Building relationships with them and helping people in our community realize that we're not trying to change you. To get you to believe the way we believe so much as we want you to know God loves you. And has a plan for your life. And we would love to walk alongside you in that journey and help you find it with us. That's kind of the story of grace when you think about it. Now, sometimes that path that God has us on isn't going to be as easy as we would like for it to be. I can think of one time just a year ago, when, well, nine months ago, when we were in that place. We were excited. We felt like God was calling us to expand our campus. We realized that God, we we believed that God was wanting us to raise over a million dollars to help expand this campus in multiple ways to prepare us for what God had for us. And then we prayed, we sought God, we sacrificed together, and we didn't quite get to the goal that we wanted to get to, right? There were three phases of construction, and we realized we got a little bit past the first one. And in that moment, there's a temptation to think, uh, God's not really with us. We must have missed God in some way. And what God showed me after about a day of sulking in that way myself was that for whatever reason, God wants to do this in and through us one phase at a time rather than all three at once. We've seen how God is at work around us. It's not like God has left us. It's not like we've missed the path somehow along the way. But sometimes God in his love and mercy just showers on us everything that we need and more. And sometimes he says, no, I want to walk a little bit closer to you through this path. I want to show you some things along the way. And that's what God has for us. So in a few minutes, we're going to walk outside this building and under that corner. And we're going to show our gratitude and praise to God because God is at work around us, in us and through us. He's doing an amazing work. And we all have the privilege of being able to do that with him. I am so excited that you're here today to celebrate and and join us in this. And if you haven't joined us in this effort that we're calling Space for Grace, as we're preparing the way for what God has for us in the next few years, I would encourage you to join us in it. There are some packets at Guest Services Center. We'd love to explain to you a little bit about what's happening with Space for Grace and have you join us in whatever way that God is calling you to do so. You know, on the morning drive that I have with my son is I drop him off at school each morning and head into work. As many times in that few minutes, my son and I will listen to a health and fitness podcast, this expert by the name of Mike Matthews. And he said recently something that really stuck with me. He said, whatever obstacles are in our way in life, whether it's financially or with our health or with our fitness... Our human nature is always geared toward three things. He says, what is fast, what is easy, and what is free. He said, people look for the magic pill. They look for the quick fix. They look for the fad diet. They look for the steroids or the weight loss pill. And this is what he said. He said, we've all asked ourselves, why does this have to be so hard? Do you have that quote that you can pull up? When life puts us on the ropes. We've all thought there's got to be an easier way when the obstacles in front of us have pe- appeared insurmountable. We've all wished that someone else could do, just do the hard work for us when the demands on us have to become great. One way to escape the terminal disease of normality, he says, is to condition ourselves to despise what is easy, fast, and free. And instead to learn to embrace difficulty, tedium, and sacrifice. Now this isn't coming from a Christian. This isn't coming from a follower of Jesus. This is just coming from a wise guy who has built a business and he's run a lot of hard things in his life. And then notice then what he says. He says, What we most want to find in our lives will be found in the places where we least want to look. Only in the filth of all things that are difficult, complicated, uncomfortable, unexciting, and sometimes exhausting are the true gems found. I think he's right. At times, guys, we're going to come to a crossroads. To situations where we feel a little bit lost, stuck, frustrated even. Times when we're going to want to shortcut the process, even though instinctively we kind of know that all those shortcuts always lead to dead ends. But if we can observe and recognize how God is at work, hope builds. And we're more determined to live the way that God's called us and God wants us to live. Maybe you're in a time where you're feeling a little bit lost right now. If so, can you see at least how God is at work? Can you perhaps see the fingerprints of God on your life? Can you see the path that he's wanting you to take? Will you put your hope in him and not settle for anything less. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for the path that each one of us are on. I thank you for the path that we're on as a community here at Grace. I thank you for how you give us just enough that you require us to live by faith and not by our own, the works of our own hands. God, I pray that you will continue to work and bless this community as our hearts are focused on you And loving our community toward you. God I pray that you would use us. That we would be instruments for which people would come to find your love, your mercy, your grace, and your peace. In Jesus name. Amen.